another season first draft is underway. Jalen Carter, too quick, too powerful. That's a touchdown. That is a bad man. Oh, no, 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 Maybe the best player in the sport. Watch out for Mr. Robinson. Fifth touchdown pass for C.J. Stroud. Jackson Smith and Jigbo, arguably the top receiver in the country. If you didn't know the name Will Levis before tonight, you know it now. Richardson, lead throws a defender out of bounds. He is a highlight reel waiting to happen every time he touches the football. Welcome into First Draft. It is now exactly 50 days away from the 2023 NFL Draft. I am Field Yates, and as always, I am joined by Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. You see them right here. Mel on the left, Todd on the right. And we're going to dive into a lot today because the NFL Combine is now behind us. And Todd, you released your Mock Draft 3.0 yesterday, and... Nothing to see here. Pretty boring. No trades. No big moves up the board for players. No big drops by other players. You kind of kept it boring and vanilla for us this week, huh? I tried to, but it's hard. When you got Chicago sitting there at number one, right, and and presumably not taking quarterback, and you got four quarterbacks that we're talking potentially in the top ten picks, you know there's going to be some movement. So I had Indianapolis move up from four to one. And then I had another trade with Chicago moving back again with the, with Las Vegas moving up to go get Anthony Richardson. So that, you know, just to start things off and then, and Kuiper was pissed at me because I didn't make a third trade for, for Carolina moving up to go get Will Levis. So there, there's a lot, listen, this, we've talked about it. This draft may not be as deep as some other drafts, but the top of this draft is, is going to be really exciting between the quarterbacks, some of the running backs, the tight ends that we have, and then the wide receivers and cornerbacks kind of in the second half of the, of the first round. Pretty boring, Mel, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's tough for Todd on, on 3.0 when you come off the combine and then some guys wait till their pro day to work out and you're kind of in between all that. Then certainly Jalen Carter. Where do you put Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, Georgia? We say on football abilities, the best right. player in this draft, or at worst, the second best player in this draft. So that complicated matters uh, for Todd, trying to figure out what to do there. Uh, and then the trade. So what do you do there? I just don't see Carolina just being patient when they're desperate for a quarterback in that division. Okay, that division, somebody's got a chance now to separate a little bit. If they hit on the right quarterback, because everybody's scrambling in that division for a quarterback right now. They don't know, does Atlanta, Desmond Ritter, is he their guy? Carolina with Sam Darnold. You know, you think about where the other teams in that division are right now. Everybody's kind of up in the air except one team. And you say, okay, who are we trying to catch now? And where are we at in the division? I always say, if you're not, you know, number one, you better be two. You can't be three or four in terms of division at quarterback. And I think when you look at where we once were in that division to where we are now, Carolina going to be patient enough to say, we're just going to wait it out and maybe lose the quarterback or quarterbacks that we love in this draft. You're not going to love all four. You may love one, maybe two, and like a couple or not like another one, but you're not going to have a strong feeling on all four of those quarterbacks. So guys, I think Carolina at nine, I got to believe, is aggressive and tries to move up from that spot to get their quarterback, as the Bills did when they even got Josh Allen when he went with seventh overall. He dropped a little bit. Baker went one. Darnold went three. And then Buffalo went up to get Josh Allen. I think somebody will do that in this case, maybe for a Will Levis from Kentucky. Yeah, Mel, as you mentioned, that dynamic is so pertinent. I think it's especially pertinent to a team like the Chicago Bears 
or the Arizona Cardinals, two teams that have top three picks that are not going to be taking a quarterback because of Justin Fields and Kyler Murray respectively this year. If they try to move back, they should have plenty of dance partners to help make a deal come to life. Uh, Todd, obviously I was being facetious and saying this was a boring mock draft as it was anything but. So let's dive into some of the stuff that I think probably has the people talking after mock 3.0 has been released. And uh, without getting into the particulars of what it might cost, in your draft, you have the Raiders moving up from pick seven to pick four, picking Anthony Richardson, who was, it seems, the biggest winner of the combine. How audacious of a move do you believe this would be from GM Dave Ziegler and head coach Josh McDaniels? Um, listen, it would, it would be a gamble. Let's put it that way, because you're talking about a quarterback who has a chance to be an absolute star. 6'4", 244 pounds. Runs a four-four-three in the forty-yard dash. I mean, that I think it's the fourth fastest time of any quarterback in yep. the last decade, and and, and at that size, it's just it's a rarity. Plus, he has a howitzer for an arm. He's an intelligent quarterback, a great young man. He's just he's not there developed-wise in terms of his footwork, his mechanics, and and still kind of. Becoming that that dog, you know, the the it guy, the the leader that you're looking for, and so he has developing to do. But if you put him in the right situation with the right coaching staff, like look at what Brian Dayball has been able to do with two quarterbacks, Josh Allen, you know, obviously w- was the the jumping off point, and Dan- Daniel Jones with the New York Giants. Like if you get with the right coach and it's the right match, and they know how to play to your strengths. You got an opportunity. And we've seen two quarterbacks come in. Lamar Jackson was not a great thrower early in his career, struggled to throw the football. They had to be all run, and now they can mix it up. Uh, Jalen Hurts is another guy. Josh Allen, you know, his first year, it was all about running and inconsistency as a passer, but he got better and better. And part of it is is mechanics and, and drilling, but the other part is figuring out what works for them. You know, what are the throws that they're comfortable with? So it's going to be interesting to see how he's developed. But to me, the most polarizing player in the entire draft is Anthony Richardson, simply because he has the tools to be exceptional, but he's the least experienced and the least ready of these top four quarterbacks. Yes, and Field, uh, I think Todd just stole my notes. He certainly stole my thunder. And Todd, you're a thousand percent correct on what you just said. And not many times I say Todd's a thousand percent correct, but I talked to a friend of mine in the NFL. Two I'm, I'm, I'm going to write down the date right now. Quarterback. <laughs> Okay, this is as right as you've ever been in your lifetime, okay, about what you just said, because I was talking to a good friend of mine in the NFL, and we were brought up Josh Allen. He said, well, if we would have gotten Josh Allen, I don't think we would have coached him to where he is right now. I don't think we would have handled him the way he needed to be handled to get them to this point where he's this great quarterback in the National Football League. So you're right. How do you handle these young quarterbacks? I always say they're not finished products. Anybody that wants a finished product shouldn't be coaching in the NFL. You have coach, the great Vinny Serrato, good friend of mine, former GM in the NFL, always said, you have coach before your name for a reason, okay? Yeah, that's why you are where you are. You're getting kids from college to the NFL. Coach them properly. Everybody in the league doesn't. All these coaches in the NFL aren't great coaches, okay? And every profession, everybody's not great. That's reserved for a few, okay? So who gets Anthony Richardson, who handles him properly, who coaches him properly, Okay, like Josh Allen was in Buffalo, will determine his fate, as it will with a lot of quarterbacks, but particularly one 
as gifted and talented as Anthony Richardson, who needs to fix some things in terms of accuracy, precise passing, those types of things need to be worked on, handled properly, going to the right team, the right organization, coach properly, Anthony Richardson could be a boom and not a bust. Yeah, Mel, you're so right in terms of having to find the right coaching staff for Anthony Richardson. I also think the right organization as far as the timeline is concerned, is so essential. There have been so many quarterbacks over the years that the team has drafted him and immediately said, we expect to redshirt him. You go back to Blake Bortles. I mean, other quarterbacks in more recent vintage have been drafted with the idea we're going to sort of stash them away for a season. If Anthony Richardson goes to, as an example, Seattle or Detroit, there's a real plausible case that those teams could redshirt him because they have Geno Smith, who just got that new contract, and Jared Goff, who's been to the Super mm-hmm. Bowl as a starting quarterback. In a hypothetical where he goes to Las Vegas, even if they say, hey, it's Jared Stidham's job if he's re-signed and we're going to kind of take things slow with Anthony Richardson, it would seem to me that the expiration date on a Jared Stidham ex- uh, experience is probably a lot sooner than if you have a Geno or if you have a Jared Goff in place, kind of like what happened with the 49ers and Trey Lance, where they truly did redshirt him for the entire year with Jimmy G back in 2021. I can't wait to see where Anthony Richardson goes, but he was not the only player that was talked about a bunch. Just a little bit of background, Todd, before I ask you about Jalen Carter for those that haven't kept up with every detail of it. About 20 minutes before he was set to do his interview with the press at the Combine, he all of a sudden had to depart as a report was released, a police report was released, and Jalen Carter had a uh, an arrest warrant issued. Um, it all stems back to the incident that unfortunately resulted in the loss of not just a teammate's life, but also a Georgia recruiting staffer. Jalen Carter was not in the car, which had those two people fatally pass away as a result of it, but charges of reckless driving and speeding in a car driving adjacent to the car, uh, unfortunately, that led to those two deaths. And uh, Jalen Carter recently, or excuse me, after that, released a statement saying that he would be fully exonerated, but the report led to him departing the Combine, eventually returning to the Combine, but only for interviews. I think it's important to just lay that all out there, Todd, because as far as ability is concerned, no one has any doubts about that. But there's a reason why he went 12th overall here. Take us through the thinking of how far is too far versus at what point is the risk worth the payoff for a guy like Jalen Carter? Yeah, it's been interesting talking to friends in the league because no one really wants to talk about it right now because of all the legal implications, right? But there's there's a feeling that, hey, if if he's exonerated and he can play, he's going to be a top five pick. And, and, you know, Chicago could sit there at number one and take him. I mean, he, he's that talented. I, I personally think he's the, the best player in this draft physically. And what you watched at the end of the season when he was healthy, he was the best player in college football, offensive or defensive side of the ball. So to me, if, if everything works out and you're comfortable with his character, and there were, there were things prior to, to this incident there were character questions prior to this incident, and I know I got a lot of trouble from Dog Nation mentioning those things, but the bottom line is they were being talked about in scouting circles. So you add this to the mix, and now there's concern. I dropped him to 12 simply because of the unknown at this point. It really is a complete unknown at this point. But it, won't, it would not surprise me if he's a top three pick. 
He could go one to Chicago if Chicago chooses not to move out. He could go three to Arizona. He could go five to Seattle. I mean, so there are three spots right there he could go in the top five if everything works out for Jalen Carter between now and then. But if if there's concern, and I think it's April 18th, we're going to find out a lot, lot more information. And at that point, you're you're talking about just you know a couple weeks before the draft, and and so it's how hard how hard is it to make a decision when you have two weeks to figure out what the true information is? And so it's going to be a, a lot of stress on a lot of scouts and a lot of general managers trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Mel, you've obviously been doing this longer than anybody. So how would you sort of assess what those events? mean to the draft stock of Jalen Carter and how much risk taking him would actually incur? Yeah, I think that, uh, as Todd said, April 18th will tell you a lot. I think when you talk to teams in the league and talk to people that have been in the league and had to make those types of decisions, I just go back and go look at players that have you know, issues. And they, they've, there are a variety of issues players have coming in. They're kids. They make mistakes. And we always say off-the-field issues, off-the-field concerns, character, whatever it may be. A lot of them are starring in the NFL, and fans are cheering for some of these guys right now or are making big plays and touchdowns and, and helping teams win Super Bowls and championships and doing great things. So, uh, again, they're kids, and they make mistakes. They make bad decisions and what have you. I think you look at, at where we are right now. This was serious, okay? I mean, you're talking about – Jalen Carter involved in, in an, an accident that obviously two young people lost their lives and uh, those families will never be the same again. So you, you have to look at this and go and really do all your due diligence, as Todd said, check into everything that's happened up until this point with Jalen Carter and then weigh it all and put it together. I think when you get to late April and you say, OK, where can he go? Todd mentioned the teams, the Bears, certainly if they move down a couple times with teams looking to go up and get a quarterback then they would be a team certainly would feel at a palatable point in that first round where it would make sense. We need a defensive tackle, an interior presence like Jalen Carter. You get the best player football-wise in this draft at seven, say, and you're the Bears. If you look at Seattle at five, if they moved off of five, even at five they could take him, but if they move off of five, they could grab him. Then Philadelphia at 10, needing that interior defensive tackle. They put a lot of money into the D-line and the O-line in terms of the first round the Eagles do. I think that would be a spot for Jalen Carter. So my attitude would be at this point, and my thought process, if you're going to go back to say Warren Sapp in 1995, he was the 12th pick in the draft. He was my third, fourth highest rated player. Okay, and there were five busts taken before he went mm. at twelve. Laramie Tunsil went, I believe, eleven. Todd, so and he was considered a top pick and has had a nice career. Randy, so, Ma- Randy Moss Carter, is another one. Uh, sure. I th- yeah, dropped into the right around twenty, I believe, when you know he was the best player even coming out of high school and the elite player. And you're right, and there have been others, and what it's a laundry list of names, a ton of names that we can go into over the last forty-five years that I've been doing this, Todd, of players that drop because, as we say, off the field concerns. Uh, like I say, a lot of them became stars. So again, Jalen Carter, I think as far as he can drop, maybe right now ten to Philadelphia. How high could he go? I had him going four to the Bears in that trade before this news came out, this information came out. So, uh, like I said, that's one we will be watching very closely between now and late April. You know, I do think this is maybe a time to mention something that I think is important for listeners is, you know, when Mel and Todd, anybody who analyzes draft prospects for a living, talks about a player and brings up something like character concerns, it's not done with an agenda. The job for a scout or a GM or a draft analyst is not to tell you just the good things about a player. That's the easy part, right? We could tell you the 50 things that Jalen Carter does at an absolutely exceptional level. It's 
the, the, they pay GMs for the difficult decisions, right? They don't pay you to be the guy that has the number one pick in the class that Andrew Luck comes out, and you draft Andrew Luck because he's the highest-rated quarterback since John Elway or whatever it was. So I think with Jalen Carter, it's kind of a lesson, lesson there, Todd. I, and, Go ahead, Todd. To your, yeah, to your point, I, I talked to a veteran scout. He said, my job used to be 70-30 scouting versus kind of private investigating. Now it's, it's flipped. Like 70% of my time is figuring out who the person is, talking to everyone on campus, talking to going to bars and restaurants around town and figuring out who these guys really are. Because the the two, the two reasons that you have a bust in the league, if you really look at it, one character two durability, Mm. and you can't usually predict durability, but character I think teams are getting smarter and smarter about. You know, Todd, and there aren't a bunch of people that uh, at the age of 21 or 22 become overnight millionaires, but let's just let's let's not hide from the fact that you if you gave 21-year-old me, you know, $20 million guaranteed, I can't promise you I would have been the same level of dedicated to whatever it was that I was doing prior to getting that 20 million bucks. That's because I'm a human just like all these players are. That's part of the process that these scouts I'll, I'll, are having to I'll dig in. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Marty, Schott- Marty Schottenheimer told me about 15 years ago, he said, you can never predict what, what, when someone gets more money, more fame, and more free time than they've ever had before in their life. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to predict in scouting. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that only because I know that, frankly, draft analysts come under fire when they highlight whether it's a skill set area of limitation or a character concern as if you guys are saying these things to try to undercut the player's draft value when the reality is it's a huge part of your job. If it was just about talent, it would be a much easier job. Let's move forward. Another pick that had the people talking, Todd, of that, of course, was Bijan Robinson going 10th to Philly. And, you know, the Eagles, as everybody has reminded you, <laughs> not the kind of front office to necessarily do something like this. But if you look at it, as opposed to the opportunity cost of retaining Miles Sanders in free agency, they could be getting a discount here at the running back spot. Yeah, listen, it, it, Howie Roseman, this, this is not his MO. And I get it. And, and every Eagles fan in my, in my mentions is – has, has let me know. And, and I, they probably won't, but it makes sense to me. You've got Miles Sanders, who's been a great back for, for Philadelphia. And, and look, the Eagles want to be, be a run-first team. They've got a quarterback who can run. It gives them an extra option in terms of numbers in the run game. You've got Miles Sanders, but if I can get a better, more talented running back in Bijan Robinson, who had 91 forced missed tackles last year, 19 catches can protect the quarterback and I can get him at a price that is a huge discount off of what I'd have to pay Miles Sanders in the second contract. Why wouldn't you, you know, to me, it just makes all the financial sense and the football sense. And so I'll be interested to see, they probably won't go that way, but I would go that way if if I were the Eagles. All right, Mel, your chance. It's been teed up. Let me also, let me also say this, Mel. Okay. Like, I, I have not talked to a mm-hmm. team that, ha- does not, that does not have B. John Robinson in their top seven players. Oh. Everyone, it's a, he's either fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh best player in this draft talent-wise. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. Anybody that watches college football and rates players, Todd, would have to have in this draft, which isn't a strong draft. We all agree on that. 
Uh, I have them at six. I'm having them at four or five in that area uh, in the NFL I'm talking about uh, that I talk to. So, uh, like I said, you don't, I don't grade, and I keep saying this, and people always get on me about running backs. You grade a player based on his ability, but you also have philosophies on drafting and positional value. And I think for running back, and I go to your Eagles at 10, the Eagles drafted Miles Sanders out of Penn State in the second round. The same year, Josh Jacobs went towards the end of the first round to the Raiders. They passed on Josh Jacobs. They took Andre Dillard, offensive tackle, okay? So, or guard, playing guard now as well. So they take the O-lineman, which is what they typically do, go in the trenches, passed on the running back, Jacobs, and then they got Sanders in the second. That was the same year Tony Pollard went in the fourth round. He was just franchised by the Dallas Cowboys. My point is you can find those running backs. The Eagles can find a good running back in the second, third, fourth, fifth round this year. You can do a heck of a job. What was Gainwell, who's a good situational back, fifth round pick. I think you need a back like Dwayne McBride, say, from UAB, second round area. And there's a ton of others that you could get in that second, third, fourth, fifth round. And then you could address the O-line or D-line at 10, then the O-line or D-line at 30, then get the running back moving down the line a bit. So I'm, I'm with you on the on B. John Robinson's grade. It will be very interesting. The word is fascinating to see who takes B. John Robinson, who is without question a consensus top six player in this draft. They could drop, and we've seen it before, guys. We've seen running backs drop. You know, we saw it last year, and we see it again all the time. Even with players, quarterbacks will drop because teams say, you know, we got our quarterback. But we see, like, Sam Howe, second-round grade. He's there in the top of the fifth round. Washington took him. So players that are graded high will drop at other positions, not just running back, but running back in particular. The philosophy that teams have adopted that I started talking about, I think, 25 years ago about running backs. And, and by the way, in field, you know, it's how many, how many running backs have been keys to Super Bowl-winning teams over the last 10 years? How many first-round running backs can you name that were with the yeah. team that drafted them with the team that drafted them, okay, Leonard Fournette was not drafted by Tampa Bay, but the running back was with the team that drafted yeah. them that helped them get to a Super Bowl and win it over the last X amount of years. Yeah, it's it's economically there has been no position that you can find better value at than the running back spot. That being said, Bijan Robinson, as I think I said yesterday during the mock draft special, certainly seems to be the best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley back in 2018, who whether he should or should not have did go number two overall, and he's got the franchise tag from the Giants. Last one of sort of the spicier picks from Todd's most recent mock. And Todd, I love the idea of the Seahawks double-dipping. You had them taking Tyree Wilson five out of Texas Tech, athletic, souped-up pass rusher. But then at 20, the more interesting one, Miles Murphy from Clemson, who the reason why it's interesting is just because he was six in a prior mock draft. Has something changed with his value? Have you dug in more on where you believe the league views him? Or what causes this 14-spot drop? I think, listen, I, I like Miles Murphy a lot. I think he's got good bend. I think he's, he was productive most of his career. I think he, he disappeared late in the season. And that frustrated a lot of teams just because when they needed him the most, he wasn't showing up. And you start to compare now all these other, the quarterbacks that we're talking about, the cornerbacks that we're talking about, some of the other defensive linemen that have, that have emerged – I think that's why he's going to drop a little bit. Maybe not that far, but he's going to drop a little bit, and he's not going to be a top-10 pick like I thought he would be all along. But for, for John Schneider, I know this. He is looking to get more physical and dominant up front defensively. They, they believe that that's where they win, and, and they want to get back to being that dominant front. And that they obviously – 
You know, they brought in uh, Boye Mafe a, a year ago, and I have two defensive linemen going in the first round. Maybe they don't go that direction, but I know that John Schneider, for a fact, is looking to get bigger, stronger, and more physical up front. So expect at least one of these two picks to be, on a de- be for a defensive lineman. What do you think, Mel? Is that a value there? I think Wilson's a little high for me. I'm at 19 on the big board. I will see where that goes. There's a lot of mixed opinion there. But the one player that I must be way off on or what I'm hearing is not accurate or I'm missing something and Todd, enlighten me, educate me on a player, Will McDonald IV out of Iowa State, a veteran, played a lot of college football. He was a sack artist. He was productive, getting tackles for loss, getting forcing fumbles, trip sacks, yeah. had a great senior bowl week. Uh, he comes off the edge. He flies off the edge. Super athletic. I saw him jump over a, a truck. I mean, I, you know, you're talking about a guy who's got awesome talent. Uh, he does everything a truck? on the field. Did it for Matt Campbell yeah. at Iowa He jumped State. over a truck. Oh, he an SUV, I guess. A SUV. SUV. Didn't he feel? I think it, I saw yeah, it. It was. You, you oh, are okay. correct, Mel. I'll send a clip to Todd. I'm, 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 I missed the video. I missed yeah, I mean, the video. Okay. Maybe that'll force you force him into the first round on McShay's next mock. I don't know. But the bottom line is, I, tell me what I'm missing. I have him in the top 10. I think he could go top 10, top 15, and be one of those picks that maybe rise or raises a few eyebrows because people don't have him in a mock. I did. I'm always looking to trying to that curveball, surprise guy, wild card. You know that. Todd always says it's a Kuiper stunt. It's really not. But enlighten me on Will McDonald, the fourth Todd, and why you do not have him anywhere in your mock 3.0. I, I have him early in the second round, and I considered him late in the first round. And listen, the more I dig in and the, the more I watch YouTube videos of him jumping over trucks, maybe I will wind up pushing him up. But I, I, I like him. I like him a lot as a player, and I think he very well could go in the first round. I, top 10, I'm not there. But, but I, I do think he's a really good football player, and I think he's a, the type of guy who's going to play in the league for 10, 12 years. He's that he just the commitment he has, the toughness he has, and, and just the, the, the way he plays the game. I, I love the way he plays the game. I'll offer this up as a potential explanation for the variance. Uh, you guys have both talked about this is not a great draft. And the reality is that the blue chip guys tend to be viewed pretty comparably, right? If there are 15 blue chip guys, the league kind of sees that as the 15 blue chip guys. If there's eight, there's eight. Beyond that, I think opinions tend to vary a whole lot more. So maybe that's a driving force behind Will McDonald and some of these other players that you guys are more disparate on compared to where you would normally expect to see players in the first round. Now, just to quickly run down the first seven picks from Todd's draft, the Colts, again, via a trade with the Bears, they get Bryce Young, number one overall. Texans stand pat, they get C.J. Stroud. Cardinals get Will Anderson. The Bears trade down again, so the Raiders are up at four. Anthony Richardson, Seahawks, Tyree Wilson. Sixth is the Lions going with Christian Gonzalez, an excellent cornerback out of Oregon, a transfer from Colorado at a very strong combine, a total athletic freak. And the Bears finally make a pick. Peter Skoronsky has got some NFL bloodlines. His grandfather played in the NFL, from Connecticut, by the way. Uh, Skoronsky goes to the Bears. Uh, He would fit in somewhere along that Bears offensive line. Braxton Jones, their fifth-round pick last year out of Southern Utah, actually did an exceptional job playing at a high level uh, as a rookie. So we're going to spend the remainder of this show, 15 or so minutes, talking about the Combine because the Combine, of course, has come and gone. Uh, A wonderful job, as always, by the organizers at the NFL and the city of Indianapolis. No better place to have that event. And there were a lot of players who I think made some made themselves some money. 
Um, but let's let's talk about guys that maybe jumped up the board. And I'll begin with you, Mel. Is there somebody that you thought, even if it's not a player in the first round, but you say to yourself, I might have seen him as day three or third round pick, who after this past weekend has you thinking differently about him? It's DJ Turner, and I'd like to get curious to see what Todd thought about DJ Turner from yeah. Michigan. Liked him as a player. Yeah. Press played off, tackled well. The great thing, special teams guy before he became a starter, one of Jim Harbaugh's favorite players at Michigan. Only 5'11 and changed about 178 pounds, but he ran 4'26, 38 and a half vertical. And this is a guy, Todd, good football player at Michigan. Uh, I thought maybe third, yeah. or fourth round, fourth, fifth round. I'm thinking second round, maybe. How's the guy with this type of talent, that type of work ethic, versatile player, can help you immediately on special teams, nickel back, dime back. I mean, come on. I, I, you think DJ Turner right now is a solid second-round draft choice based on that 40 at the combine? Yeah, I I do. I, I do. And, and and at that position, there's there's no position that's more important when it comes to, to measurables. And, and obviously the length might not be there, but the speed is there and, and the toughness and, and the way he plays – and his football intelligence. I, I remember sitting down with Jim Harbaugh this year, and he was one of the first guys that he mentioned in terms of guys that just just get it, just have the instincts and, and love the game and, and have the leadership and everything you look for. So I, I think between the interview process, the, the, the workout that he had, the, the tape that he's put on there at Michigan, I, I think he's got a really good chance of going round two. T.J. Turner, running well, no surprise there, but good to see him maybe moving up the board with some of uh, his performances. Anybody else, Todd, that sort of stands out to you as a guy that moved up the board because of what happened this past week? And we're talking about guys not like you know, Anthony Richardson, who we already thought had a chance to be first-round picks, who maybe cemented that status after this past week? Right. I, listen, one guy I will say in the first round, Nolan Smith, the edge rusher. I, I didn't know what to expect coming out, coming out of Georgia had a great 2021 season. He thought he was going to be a star in 2022. Has the, the pec, mu- uh, pec muscle injury and, and winds up missing most of the season. So we didn't know what to expect. He comes in and the numbers that he put in, I'm just looking here. Let's look. He, he at 238 pounds, ran a 4.39. You're talking like most wide receivers would kill for a 4.39 in the 40. He had a 41 and a half inch vertical jump. And so I moved him all the way up to number eight to Atlanta. I, when you have a talent like that, I don't think you, you go very far in the first round. But other guys, uh, Zach Kuntz, the, the tight end, I thought coming out of Old Dominion, he's 6'7, 255 pounds, ran a 4.55 and really look good in drills. I think he, in a tight end class, that I've got I've got five guys in the top 50 right now, Mel. I think Zach Koontz is, is really helping himself. Uh, Byron Young, the defensive end from, from uh, Tennessee, I thought had a, a really good o- overall workout. I thought he did great in drills. 38-inch vertical jump for a big guy like that. 38-inch vertical jump. That just shows the lower body explosion that you're looking for from a defensive lineman. And Jack Campbell, another guy, linebacker, I, I thought had a really good, really good workout. And, and well, I, I, listen, off the ball linebackers don't normally go early, but I think he cemented himself as a day two pick. 
Any thoughts on those players, Mel? I'm going to go Todd and, and Field. Yeah, Field and, and Todd. There's a guy that I think is going to be a tough evaluation. He kind of makes it where you get your coaches involved, you get your scouts involved. You see what he did at BYU playing left tackle. Mm. You watch the senior bowl practice where he struggled with power. You see the combine workout where Blake Freeland, six, nearly 6'8", 302 pounds, vertical 37 inches, 37 vertical. For an offensive tackle, 6'8", nearly 6'8", 302, ran 4'9", 4'9", What an athlete Blake yeah. Freeland is. O-line coaches are going to say, yeah, yeah, he needs some technique work, okay? A little stronger, you know, got to deal with power better. But what you saw at BYU, you'll like well, We can work part. with that. Senior Bowl week didn't go as well. You can. What offensive line coach is going to pound that table and pound that table for Blake Freeland, who has tested athletically off the charts? All right, so those are a couple of guys, or a few guys, that are moving up, perhaps, boards, and then a couple of players that maybe are going the opposite direction. Todd, I'll start with you. Is there anybody that you said to yourself after the combine, oh, I don't know, that was a tough workout there for him. Not sure that he matches on tape what he showed on, the, I guess, the field this past weekend, and for the worse, right? Like a guy whose tape is better than his athletic profile would suggest. Well, it, it's been a frustrating year for this guy, and Kayshawn Booty, yeah, the wide totally. receiver from LSU, absolute star in 2021. He got injured. I, I thought he was up for the Bolitnikov at, at one point, like halfway through the year last in 2021. Comes back this year, new coaching staff, trying to get it figured out, struggled early on, had some problems with, with the coaching staff in terms of what his fit was. And then, then he started to buy in and he started to play really well down the stretch. And I, I was hopeful that he was kind of turning things around and, and maybe getting healthy too and finally healthy. But he came to the, the combine and, and did not have the showing that you want. Just a 29-inch vertical for a guy who was supposed to be an explosive playmaker. And, um, you know, it's frustrating for Booty because I, I truly thought he was going to be a top 15 pick coming into the year. And, and it's just – that's not going to be the case. He'll, he'll, I, I think he's probably, Mel, and you tell me, probably in that late second round range now with, with all the other wide receivers. And then another guy, I would say Mike Morris, the, the defensive lineman from, from, uh, from Michigan. I expected more because I had heard he was a good, a good workout guy, but he, had, he had ran a 4.95 at 275 pounds and had just a 28-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. And Mike Morris is a, a really good football player. But, uh, but just did not have the, the workout that I expected to see. And I, I think it's going to wind up hurting him. All right, man, I'll let you wrap it up in terms yeah, of play- – Yeah, oh, so bars. No. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I just echo what Ty said. When you come out early, you got to know your measurables and you got to be ready for that because that's going to be an important mm-hmm. part. You have one year of sack production, one year of overall production for Mike Morris. And I think somebody's going to roll the dice on him probably late day two, maybe. I, I thought he could be a second round pick before the workout. So I think I, he will send you back to the drawing board as well. Anybody else that, that went maybe backwards this week in your estimation, Mel? No, I thought, you know, you got to be careful of, of doing that type of thing, uh, you know, because you look at it, and normally a Brian Branch is a great example of that. The defensive back from Alabama, Mr. Versatility, a Nick Saban favorite. We talked about Jim Harbaugh with DJ Turner, Nick Saban favorite, Brian Branch, does everything well in the football field, great versatility, can play slot, can play in the box, can play center field, can do tackle, can break on the ball, anticipation, aware. Instincts of a football player are so critical. Mm. Do you play faster than you time? 
And in Brian Branch's case, he plays a lot faster than he times. He didn't test well. No and question. Again, I, you know, some thought first round. You know, he did not. And and, you know, and I think first round, is that out of the question now when we thought he could be? I didn't have him in Mach 2.0. Probably won't have him in 3.0. I don't know, Ty. Did you have him in 3.0, Branch? I did late. Yeah. I did late. Yeah, I put him in late. But but I, I, okay, I struggled so with it. Is a, right. So he's a guy that, again, the combine, you like a kid. You say, boy, I really think Brian Branch is going to fit what we do. Do, do you change your mind? I don't think so. I really don't think you can. Actually, you know what, Mel? Mel, you know what? I, I'm, I'm looking down. I'm looking down now. I, I, I lied. I, I, it was, I was going to put him in late to either the, the Chiefs or the Eagles, and I, I decided not to simply because the measurables okay. just didn't match up. Yeah. I was, I was thinking I had right. it. Like and a, he'll be a heck of a second-round yeah. pick if that's the case. Yeah, he'll be a heck yeah. of a second-round pick field, and Todd, if he if he drops into that point, we'll be talking about him on, on night two yeah. of the draft, and he'll be one of the top guys we'll probably be highlighting if he's still on the board. Todd and I will say, Brian Branch, you yeah. got to get him, because for today's game, you need versatile, smart, foot, consistent football players that are super well-coached. Keep in mind, Nick Saban's forte is everything football, right? He's a Hall of Famer, best ever, but defensive backfield Back is his specialty. If you say, what is Nick Saban? And to be coached by Nick Saban and have Nick Saban rave about Brian Branch's football aptitude and football IQ and the way he played uh, speaks volumes. So to your point about the combine, the combine doesn't equate the type of football player Brian Branch has been and will be in the National Football League. I I remember standing on the sideline with Rick Spielman, the the, ex-GM, longtime GM for the, the Minnesota Vikings. And we were just standing there watching the game against uh, Mississippi State. And we both look, kept looking at, at each other. Like, this guy's different. Mm. Branch is different. Like, he's the guy on this defense. And so he, he's just he, – he's a better football player than a tester, and we see that all the time. And you're right. Someone, some team is going to get a steal with this guy, and he's going to wind up being – I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl-type player one day. One of the best, if not the best, safeties in this year's class. We're going to wrap up this show by Mel going off script. This is the point where Todd and I seed the floor. Mel, it is yours. Take it away. <laughs> it's been fun because Bryce Young, we have talked about a lot. And Todd said, he, I love him. He's Mahomes. He's Steph Curry. And I said, well, he's the ultimate outlier, right? At 5'10 and a, and a quarter, 100 and, uh, 204 pounds. We thought it would be 195 was my bar. I look back and I don't know, maybe, you know, I was born July 25th, 1960, okay? Bryce Young was born July 25th, 2001. He's QB1. <laughs> we share a birthday. Bryce Young had a heck of a career. He's the ultimate quarterback in terms of processing and instincts for the position. Uh, we have you know, lofty expectations for Bryce Young. I went back. You talk about an outlier. I went back, and I've been doing this now 45 years. In fact, all my books, the 1979, I found guys, Field and Todd, I found a quarterback. Jim McMahon in 1982. Todd was five years old in 1982. Field Yates was five years before he was born in 1982. And Jim McMahon was the and Jim McMahon guys was the fifth pick overall. Todd was five. Field Yates was five before he was born. And McMahon was the fifth pick in the 1982 draft at six foot and change, about 180 to 190 pounds. Jim McMahon went behind Art Schleister. He went fourth overall to the Baltimore Colts. Mistake. He went five. McMahon had the higher grade. In my estimation, McMahon became a Super Bowl winning quarterback in 1985. So there's one guy who won a Super Bowl at a height and weight. Not the height. He's a couple inches taller, but if you put it all together, Jim McMahon would be the one. 
You know the sad part is Mel actually did go through every single book going yeah. back forty five oh, years. Of course he did. And, and then mm-hmm. and then and then he, he Wikipedia both of our our birth dates and and put Kim it did. all together. Kim did. I mean, that's research. I'm impressed now. <laughs> well done. Well, no one can ever Correct. question your preparation. Correct, Todd. I did. That's right. impressive. That I love impressive. the five. Right, keep going, five Mel. for Todd. Keep five going. for Field and five the fifth pick for McNeil. Let me keep going. And one other thing, and I'll end it on this. There's a lot of, I've always called them diminutive dynamos. This is kind of the Bryce Young category, right? Diminutive. We have them at all, and I'll get my sheet because I know I'll miss somebody. All right, you talk, start out with Bryce Young. How about Deuce Vaughn? What was Deuce Love. Vaughn running back Kansas State? Like 5'5"? Five, five? Yeah, heck of a player. Lionel Little Train James came out of Auburn as like a fifth-round pick, had a really good career in the National Football League. We know about Darren Sproles coming out of Kansas State, what he did, a Hall of Fame type of player. Okay, let's go to Zay Flowers. Our guy Zay Flowers, Todd out of Boston College, another diminutive dynamo, phenomenal player, probably a first-round pick. But then go Peter Skaronsky doesn't fit the physical prototype from a size yeah, standpoint, yeah. an arm length standpoint, but Peter Skaronsky, a heck of a player. Grandfather played, uh, Bob did for the Green Bay Packers, the Vince Lombardi on those championship teams. You go to Kalijah Cansey, defensive tackle Pitt. Yeah, what's he, 6'1", about 280. You know, he's a guy explosive into the backfield, doesn't fit all of the physical parameters for some teams. And let's go to Ivan Pace Jr., linebacker at Cincinnati, you know, formerly from the Mid-American Conference. Heck of a player, instinctive, doesn't fit physically necessarily. And then the splendid splinter. I brought this up with Devontae Smith when he came. I said, Splendid Splinter 2. Remember that, Todd? Splendid Field. Remember, Splendid Splinter. Ted Williams, great Ted Williams, legendary Ted. He was a Splendid Splinter. Of course I do. Splendid Splinter 2. Now, now we got, yeah, yeah, Mr. Mr. Red Sox. But, boss, uh, Splendid Splinter 3. We got Splendid Splinter 3. Who do you think it is, Todd? It's Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback from Mississippi mm-hmm. State. A whale of a corner, six yep. pick sixes, a gazillion interceptions in his career. He picked off my guy, Will Levis, on a, on a bubble screen and took it the distance. By the way, next drive, Will Levis looking for a touchdown down the field. But you know, Emmanuel Forbes has the height, the length. He's got the 4 3 five, 40, but he's 166 pounds. But he's a toothpick. He's a, but he's a great player. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a 166 pound corner. Emmanuel Forbes is to the cornerback spot in the SEC with Devontae Smith was to the wide receiver spot in the SEC at Alabama. That is, you know, one of these shows, Todd. We're uh, just going to let Mel go off script for the entire show. We're just going to start. We're going to say whatever we have to say, uh, uh, and then we're going to finish the show once Mel is done with all of his. That was that was the best three minutes of my week. Yeah, so good. All right. Well, we are in fact coming You've back. You had a rough next week, Todd. No, no, hey, we're on the up and up here, yeah, all, yeah. all together now. Uh, uh, mock mock uh, draft three point to, uh, Todd's mock. No, 3.0. that's the highlight, Todd. It has been. Uh, <laughs> uh, Todd's mock three is available on ESPN Plus for those that have not yet had the chance to read it, and we are back. Next Wednesday, first draft. We'll probably talk a little bit of free agency as well. Uh, Pro days begin this Friday. I believe we have Northwestern on Friday, the first of many over the next few weeks. We cannot wait to continue to add pieces of the puzzle. For Mel and Todd, I am Field. Talk to you guys again next week.